Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, a look at the changing dynamics of traveler behavior and what's really making a difference in the way we travel, what we want, maybe even what we need. I'll speak to Nikki Vargas, Senior Editor of Fodor's Travel, to get her take on the changes. Then I'll sit down with Lisa lutoff Perlo, CEO of Celebrity Cruises, on the changes she's seeing in the cruise experience, her new ships, as well as some of the dramatic changes she's initiated. And speaking of change, I'll check in with Hannah Sampson from The Washington Post and the reporting she's been doing on one of the more annoying and some would say unfair and excessive, aspects of the hotel experience, the dreaded resort fee. First up, Nikki Vargas. We all have busy lives these days, and we don't want to waste a day recovering after a night out. That's why Zbiotics is the answer we've all been looking for. Their probiotic was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Pre-alcohol produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. This is a proactive solution that wards off feeling miserable the next day instead of a reactive approach like drinking electrolytes or eating greasy food. Enhance your mornings with Zbiotics. Go to zbiotics.com/cbs to get 15% off your first order when you use code CBS at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So, if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/cbs and use the code CBS at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode and our good times. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. You know with your Delta SkyMiles Business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. 
Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Hey, Nikki. Hi, Peter. How you doing? Good. So let's just get to the to the to the moment here, which is that every plane is full. Airfares are still high. Uh, hotel rates have, haven't been higher than this in like 10 years. Uh, do you see any relief in sight? Ah, I do, actually. I think right now, and it's interesting because we just did an article about this on voters. I think a lot of this right now is a direct result of staffing shortages. So you see a demand in travel that has risen in post-pandemic times. Everybody, which is great, is out there. They're trying to get tickets. They're trying to book hotels. They're trying to take these vacations that they basically had on the back burner for a little while while the world was kind of shut down. So we see this rise in desire to travel, but the travel industry itself is still getting on its feet and we're still seeing those staffing shortages and we're seeing the industry trying to catch up with this massive demand for hospitality and travel services. I think right now it is a little chaotic. I certainly feel it even as a traveler myself, but I do think that as the industry continues to staff up, it will normalize and we will have a future in sight where it doesn't feel this intense. You know, we have to interpret the numbers too, because when a hotel tells you it's sold out or there are no rooms available, they may be operating only at a 60% cap because they don't have the staff to support the other 40% of the rooms. So it may not be as drastic as we think in terms of capacity, but it is drastic in terms of their ability to service that hotel. Exactly, exactly. And I do think, you know, I think at the end of the day, from a consumer's perspective, what we're doing is I think it's excellent that we're going back out there, we're supporting businesses, we're booking hotels, we're traveling again. I think that's all fantastic because we're revitalizing an industry that was grounded to a halt during the pandemic. And I think with also other industries, including the restaurant industry, It's just getting back on its feet the way the whole world is following this global pandemic. But then again, are we coming back a different way? Are we making different choices? Are we going different places? I mean, what are we looking for now that we weren't looking for, let's say, in 2019? Oh, absolutely. I would say that post-pandemic, there is just such, and I'm sure you're seeing this too, there is just such an emphasis placed on sustainable travel, wellness, and mindful travel, And I think that those are really just emblematic of kind of where we were during the pandemic and during quarantine. You think of how during the pandemic, when we were all at home, we saw for the first time what the world looks like when tourism slows. You saw the smog over L.A. clear. You saw the canals in Venice clear. And suddenly we saw what happens if we travel a little bit less intensely and a little bit more mindfully. At the same time during quarantine, we're all at home, we're all plugged in, we're on social media all the time. So there was this wave after the quarantine ended to really just digitally detox. And so I see those being the two biggest trends post-pandemic of people wanting to go somewhere where they can really, really unplug. So you're seeing a rise in places like Scandinavia where people can get off the grid in Norway and then places where sustainable travel can really be a focus. Yeah, you're right. I mean, people are looking for places to literally breathe. Yes, exactly. People just want that space. And I think, again, it's just so representative of where we were during COVID, where we were just all confined and plugged in 
and we were sort of seeing the world through our screens and now people want to get out there, which is amazing. But more than get out there, they want to get to the furthest corners away from other people and just reconnect with nature in a way that feels meaningful. We're talking with Nikki Vargas, the senior editor for Photos Travel, the author of Wanderous and her upcoming book coming out this November, Call You When I Land. We'll talk about that in a second. But at the same time, Nikki, we're seeing, you know, what was topic A back in 2019? Over tourism. What's coming back now? Mm-hmm. Over tourism. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, let's take a look at Venice. Let's take a look at Barcelona. They haven't gotten rid of that problem yet. Amsterdam just passed new rules to try to limit people. Look what they just did in Nepal. They're basically telling people they can no longer take a hike on their own. Literally. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's I, mean, I mean, interesting rules being applied here to try to either limit the flow or stop it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that this is sort of one of the struggles that we're facing as not only travel industry, but also just travel consumers, that we have this desire to go back out there in full force. And even though it's well-intentioned and perhaps more mindful than it was pre-pandemic, you're still dealing with this massive influx of tourism that are descending on destinations. And so I'm seeing through photos and just through my work in the industry, I'm seeing these rises in other sorts of modes of transportation. So you're seeing train travel and an effort to sort of move slower and more cognizant and to be more cognizant about how we get from point A to point B, not only in an effort to limit carbon emissions, but I think also that the slower we travel, it kind of helps sort of bring down that over tourism because it's allowing us to explore places in between. For example, I'm flying to Norway in, uh, in May and I'm going to be traveling by car from Bergen up to Trondheim. So rather than take a flight, rather than just go immediately from one popular city to the next, I'm allowing myself to move slowly along the coastline through the fjords to stop in little towns here and there And I think that I'm seeing a lot of that approach in travel, like a much more favoring the delicacy that it is. And of course, people are taking more time to do it because they figured out a way to work remotely. Yes. Yeah. And that, you know, that is such an interesting thing to say, Peter, because you're right. It's like not only is the whole, like so much of the workforce is now remote. I remember when that was the dream and the idea of working remotely was sort of hand-in-hand with the idea of being nomadic. And now, post-pandemic, we're all kind of working remotely. And and it's so interesting to me how you're seeing these rise in places that cater to remote workers that are, you know, expat-friendly and that promise this sort of package where you can go there and enjoy the beauty of a destination while also getting your work done. And before we run out of time, I want to mention your book, Wanderous, which is really celebrating women traveling, and more and more women are now traveling solo and working remotely. It's, it's, uh, it's no longer a barrier. It's no longer a barrier. You're right. And that was when I set out to sort of work on Wanderous, which was inspired by the work I was doing for Honors Woman, which is a woman's travel publication I founded, one of the things that fascinated me the most was that women comprise nearly 70% of the travel consumer base. And yet there's so much, there's a real dearth of information to cater to them and to their specific needs. Exactly. And that's what I loved about working on Wanderous, that it really speaks to the nuanced needs of women and things that we don't see a lot. For example, 
how to travel when you're menopausal. Like that's something that I rarely see information on for women, but there are really specific needs that cater to travelers that are dealing with menopause. And so Wanderers kind of aims to really dive into the details and to give women the information and tools they need to travel. And by the way, they do have the tools they need. They just have to find them. And that's part of what you do. Uh, now, you've got exactly. another, now you've got another book that's, that's coming out in November, which for me, I love the title. It's called Call You When I Land. I wish more people would do that for me. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. That's coming out in November. Yeah, yeah. I know. And, and the thing is this, when you take, a, you just mentioned the percentage of women that are involved in travel. Let's be honest. Women make most travel decisions, even for men. If you take a look at couples, who does the research on travel? It's the women. Who makes the decisions? It's the women. And, and they do all the work. And, and, and yet, the, the, the people in the advertising industry, people in the travel industry have, have been slow to the gate in realizing that their real audience out there is not men, it's women. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> My thanks to Nikki. Lisa lutoff Perlo has a great story to tell starting by being the first woman CEO of an American-based cruise line, Celebrity. In the post-pandemic world, cruising is coming back, big time. But with what new changes in protocols? And how have the passengers changed in terms of what they need, and perhaps most importantly, expect? Lutoff Perlo seems to be navigating well in these uncharted waters. If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. You know with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving 15% on Delta flights. You know kissing under the bridge of size guarantees eternal love. Because you're the long-distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Takeoff 15, discount not applicable to partner-operated flights or taxes and fees. Terms apply. Visit go slash you know. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Lisa Lutoff Perlow, welcome. Thank you, Peter. Great to be here with you as always. Let's talk about the history here because three years ago we would have been having a different conversation uh-huh. in the middle of the pandemic. And, you know, those awful visual images of ships being quarantined in Yokohama and other ships being unable to even land at ports. We didn't really get our arms around what was going on and then it just was exploding exponentially. Of course, as you experienced and as, as a CEO and as we all experienced as consumers, the cruise industry basically shut down for 15 months. Uh, that was pretty tough. Mm-hmm. How did you be able to emerge in a way that you were stronger now than you were before? Simply because there are a lot of people... Uh, and you know this because you read the same stories I did, that we're counting you guys out. Because mm-hmm. It's over. Cruise lines are over. They're not coming back. We saw those other indelible images of some of the ships being taken to the scrapyards, and those are pretty powerful images of ships way before their useful years were ended going goodbye. And yet, here you are. <laughs> yes, and here we are. Uh, 
I think, you know, there were so many things that happened at that time. And, I, you know, the world was in a crazy place and time. And none of us knew what was going on. And I, th- I think because um, of some of the imagery and through a lot of the stories in the media that the cruise industry was disproportionately hurt in the hospitality industry. Many industries were hurt. A lot of places were shut down, but probably none as long as us uh, for 15 months. Plus, you also had crew that couldn't go anywhere. I mean, they were stranded. Yeah, our crew, it took a while to get our guests home. It certainly took even longer to get our crew home, not because we didn't try and we weren't willing to but do their anything. But their own home countries wouldn't take right, them sometimes. Their own, yeah, they were shut down, so they couldn't go home. But we took good care of them uh, while they couldn't go home, and ultimately and eventually we did get them home, and now they're all back, and that's the, that's the good end of the story. But, you know, listen, during that time, we had a lot of people working really hard. We had uh, a heavy lift to get ourselves back in business. We had government regulations both in the United States and all over the world that made it pretty difficult to start up again. Well, you had about 75 different protocols from the CDC alone as to what you had to comply with before they'd lift that no-sale order. Yeah, so that took 15 months, but Celebrity Edge was the first ship to emerge from uh, the pandemic sailing out of a U.S. port with our amazing Captain Kate at the helm, and that was a really proud and happy day, and that's based on the months uh, that the industry and industry leaders work together with health, um, you know, people the best in, in health around the world, in the country, and really put together a plan with the CDC to, to start operating again. And then there was another whole group of people in the industry and in our company that were keeping us afloat, if you pardon the pun, just to make sure that we were financially viable and that we, would, we could come out on the other side of that. And now we're in the... First year of what we're calling the trifecta and coming back in a really strong way. I mean, Royal Caribbean, your parent corporation, was able to restructure their debt. Yes, we were, and we continue to restructure that debt as uh, as the time presents itself in an opportunistic way. We've also emerged quite strong as it relates to the industry. Our demand is back to way beyond prehistoric levels and so we're excited about that it talks to the power of travel and it talks to the power of people wanting to experience the world um, again why is it back this strong pent-up demand people were not meant to live hold up and not traveling and connecting with other people all over the world uh, and i believe that people want to get back to living their lives in, in in a bigger way even than they did because i think you know one of the things that we all know is we take things for granted until they're taken away from us even me i even took you know this wonderful position i have in this amazing company for granted until I wasn't able to go anywhere anymore, and our company was shut down for 15 months, and you know, I hope for a very long period of time I, I won't do that ever again, and I don't think um, people traveling will ever do that again. The people who are not coming back, who are now booking cruises, I mean, so many of them are repeat cruisers. Yep. You have new ones, but yep. but you know, part of the definition of, of a cruise passenger is usually somebody who's done it more than once these days. Yep. Uh, what are they asking for now that they never asked for before? They're, I don't think that they're asking for anything that they didn't ask for before, but I, what I am seeing is they are asking or wanting more of what they had before, more fresh air, more space, more wonderful dining experiences, exploring more countries. They're looking for more well-being in their lives, whether it's at home or even when they vacation. They are taking care of themselves in a different way because they know they have to and they saw you know what we've all gone through and 
um, and how sick so many people became. Mental health, just again, their own mental well-being and traveling and seeing the world and looking out at the ocean is something that really fulfills them in a way that they probably didn't think they needed as much before as they do now. Of course, if you look at the traditional model of passenger behavior when it comes to cruise ships, it's like, I'm going to book a cruise a year and a half from now or three <laughs> years from now. That'll be our dream cruise. Now they're showing up three weeks from now. They are, and that's fine with us. They can oh, show sure up anytime. But yeah, no, the booking patterns have changed. People aren't making decisions, long-term decisions anymore. They're waking up one day and they're saying, I want to go to Europe. And they're doing it now and they're traveling in two months. I think people's uh, view, long-term view has compressed. And I think people just want to live in the moment now and enjoy it and live it up. And uh, we're happy to see it. But yeah, the booking patterns have changed. They are starting to normalize again. But honestly, I've never seen such close in bookings uh, in my entire career, which is now 38 years. But this is sort of a challenge for you as well, because you have to adapt quickly. You do. And you you don't always know um, what you thought you knew, because counting on historical trends is you not, you can't though. do that anymore. No. So the trends are, the, it's all new trends, a little bit of history, but mostly new. Are you going to different ports that you never went to before as sort of an indirect result of the pandemic? Not as an indirect result, um, mostly because our guests are telling us they just want to visit new places, and we have a lot of repeat guests. So we're offering them new destinations. Yes, we are, you know, every year we look for new places to take our guests that are on the routes that we're going anyway. And the other thing we're doing is we're spending longer time in port, and we're still doing overnight so people can really enjoy the destination. Every time somebody does that, the feedback that I get is all positive. They yes. love the idea yeah. of a deeper immersion without racing to get back to the ship. Right, exactly. And um, yeah, they get and they get to do multiple things when they're in port, not just one thing. Sometimes if you're there for ju- a short period of time, you can only choose one thing. And now guests are really enjoying multiple ways to enjoy the destinations they're going to. Are they doing more immersive trips that are different? I'm talking about shore excursions. Once they're there, as opposed to just getting on a bus and going to a gift shop? Well, nice thing about what we've also been able to do during this time is we've really strengthened our offering to be very customized. So if you're traveling with two people, three people, four people, your family of 14 or 15. You can do your own. You can do your own private journey. Or we have what we call discovery tours, which is no more than 24 people on a tour. And then, of course, we have our highlights tours, which are those uh, bigger excursions. And last but not least, something we're very proud of is we have positive impact tours in a lot of the places we visit. Where Explain. You can go into the community and help. You can help build a school. You can help plant a tree. It's not just showing up and writing a check. You participate. No, you do actually participate and our guests love it. And by the way, that's really, you know, getting up close and personal with the people who need it the most. And they're the locals anyway. That's right. And we always want to leave the communities that we visit better for having been there and that our positive impact tours are are making a meaningful difference. Do you work on those tours to identify a particular need before you get there so that you can say, okay, when we're here, we're going to do X because we know it makes sense. Yes. We work with different ports around the world. We go in and we talk to the people there. We talk to the tour operators there. We talk to government officials there. We ask them, how can we help make a difference? And they tell us the biggest need or the biggest opportunity or the people they're trying to help the most. And then we develop excursions to um, uh, to make sure that we factor those things in and we're able to help. And, and they're different wherever we go. They're they're different. And I presume your crew gets involved in that as well. Our crew does get involved in that. Our, we have give days in a lot of the ports that we visit outside of what our guests do. We have a lot of activities for our crew because we visit so many places so often. We're members of the community. We're all family. And uh, our crew definitely participates in many things throughout the year in the places we visit. 
of course, this and this predates the pandemic, there is that idea on certain ports that we don't want any more cruise ships or there are too many cruise ships in a port on a certain day. Have you adjusted your schedule so you've sort of mitigated that problem? Well, you know, we continue to do that. And I think one of the things that I was just saying about conversations with places is we really need to just start developing better relations and understanding what the concerns are so that we can address them. I think we're going to see different ports around the world either limit um, the number of guests on a particular day. And so we are uh, we are looking at that. And the lovely thing is we have medium-sized ships, so usually, uh, you, usually we're okay in that regard. You know... We see what happened before the pandemic, the concept of over-tourism, too many people in, in too few places at the same time, that concentration of visitors getting a little crazy in ports like Venice or Barcelona, and it's not necessarily cruise ship driven, it's just the numbers of people. If you go to Dubrovnik, it's the same issue. Uh, so are you spreading out the ports, and are you spreading out the, the length of stays in those other ports? Yes, we are looking at our itineraries. We're, we're always conscious of that, just because we want our guests to have a, a wonderful experience. So we, And we have a good eye into the competitive itineraries as well as our own. So we always try to manage that in a way that's comfortable for our guests and luxurious. We are relaxed luxury resorts at sea. Did you have to say that? Yes, I did. You had to say I that. I had to okay. say that. Absolutely. Okay. I'd be crazy not to. Um, and and the following but, <laughs> mission statement was provided by. Yes. But we um, we do look at that and I do know that that is something that the different ports are looking at. Some are as extreme as Venice, but others I, I look at St. Thomas and St. Martin. Yeah, the Those Caribbean. are traditionally overcrowded. Well, they're crowded in the winter for yeah. sure, yeah. But again, you look at different days of the week and you really try to balance it so that the guest experience isn't compromised in too big of a way for sure now you talked earlier about wellness and well-being mm -hmm. you're redefining that on the ship as well i mean everybody says they're going to stay at a hotel if they have a health club they never use it they say they're going to stay at a hotel because they have a pool they never use it i mean you look at those utilization figures and yet you have to have it but then again can you redefine it so that they actually will get involved well you know what we're finding it's not even so much the gym although our gyms are very full and they're very busy and we have about three thousand guests and you can count on those gyms being busy on any given day but it's really other things it's more spiritual well-being it's yoga it's meditation out on these decks and out in our rooftop garden and on our lawns on the solstice class people are looking at taking care of themselves in different ways that isn't always physical it's just as uh, emotional and spiritual our spas are busy all the time people getting different types of treatments again to relax unwind disconnect i think that's more what we're seeing in well-being right now it's funny because any time I've ever gone on a cruise ship and you know you can start embarkation let's say at noon by 12 30 the line is in front of the spa to get every appointment yep, filled yep, for the yep. entire cruise it's well, crazy it is crazy but what's wonderful now is we have the app and we're able to eliminate a lot of those lines because people are able to pre-book their spa appointments pre-book specialty restaurant and especially restaurants and that's wonderful because you get so much time on your on your cruise back and so the app has been a great um a great convenience for our guests but yes the spa is quite full and in very high demand. And of course, let's get to that word sustainability, which gets overused and sometimes is misleading. You have entire decks on your ship that are devoted to nothing but waste management. I find them fascinating. I love the idea that, you know, you have a zero tolerance policy. Nothing goes off the ship. Mm -hmm. Zero. Mm -hmm. Right. But it still has to be figured out. And yes. the logistics of that yes. can be massive. Yes. So uh, we have wastewater purification we have desalinization plants where we produce our own water. We have recycling rooms where we recycle everything. We crush it down to very small bundles and we send it to recycle plants. We have zero landfill on the vast majority of our ships all over the world. We have um, 
we have purific we purify the fumes that go into the air and take the sulfur out. So there's Your scrubbers. Our scrubbers, yeah. We affectionately call them scrubbers. And yeah, so we have dedicated we were the first when Edge Series came into service in late uh, 2018, we were the first cruise company to eliminate 90% single-use plastics. So we have And when you're talking 3,000 passengers every day. Every day. That's a lot yeah. of plastic. And you know, nothing ever leaves the ship, but we still didn't want to have the the single-use plastics on board because we were just contributing to the purchase of them and we decided to eliminate that. And post-pandemic, we've now we've now incorporated that into our entire fleet. So you we are very conscious of our environment, the oceans in which we live, the air we breathe, um, the way we make our living and the way we're able to take our people around the world. And we're very conscious of preserving that to the highest degree possible. Let's talk about price point for a second. I've seen cruises now being sold for as little as $449 for a seven-night cruise. I can't wake up in Chicago for that. I can't, right? It's like... You can't go to dinner for that. You can't go to dinner for that. So... Don't remind me that, of those prices that are out there in the market. But you know they're there. No, I know they're there, but... So, but then again, that's just a base price. That's an Mm -hmm. entry-level price. Although I'm a big fan. I tell people this all the time. I'm a big fan of inside middle cabins because, first of all, you spend very little time in your cabin, Right. If there's any kind of rough water, the center of gravity is your friend there. You're not going to be whipping around at the upstairs balcony level. Um, And you can still enjoy everything else on the ship. So if somebody really has a serious budget, they can do it. Sure, they can, and um, and they do. Very, very low percentage of our staterooms are inside rooms, and most people are buying suites now. And Excuse again, me. I know. Well, it, listen, it goes back to, well, first of all, we uh, offer an amazing retreat experience, but in addition to that, it's about space and breathing air, and I think right. that that's what people want now, and so you see that in the buying patterns. And while you do see some of those lower prices, we have worked really hard for price integrity and to keep you know, our prices commiserate to the experience we provide, but every day it's my job to charge more for our cruises, not less. This is an official public statement given to us by Lisa Lutoff Furlow. <laughs> Act quickly, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Prices could go up as we speak. That's right. But with all the new tonnage coming out, right? Those are cabins you still have to fill. Yes, but listen, it's our job to grow demand and grow the market. And I think that you know, how you position your brand and the types of people you're going after. You know, I always say, I've again, I've been in this business for 38 years. You can't grow and just depend on the same people that are that are cruising right now. We have got to grow the market. That's why we have thought long and hard about our positioning and how we differentiate ourselves, because that's the way you bring new to cruise into the category. My thanks to Lisa. One of the big negative touch points of the hotel experience, you know what it is, the dreaded resort fee. Is it a nickel and diming tax dodge? A clever or perhaps not so clever way of hiding the real cost of your hotel room? Hannah Sampson of the Washington Post dug deeper with her reporting on the issue. And let me warn you, it's not a pretty picture. Welcome, Hannah Sampson. Hey, Hannah. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, what was interesting is, you know, it's got everybody's attention. It took a while to get there. I mean, the Federal Trade Commission was after these guys for a while for failure to disclose. Uh, there have now been some legal settlements settlements that are forcing some hotels to actually display them at the time you buy it, your hotel room. Mm-hmm. But the real problem is the definition of resort fee itself. I mean, what is it? Why do you have to pay for it? And why did it get here in the first place? And uh, that's a crazy one. There's even a website now that I learned about reading your story in the Washington Post called killresortfees.com. That's how far we've come. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are, there are anti-resort fee websites 
all around if you just look for them. <laughs> but Hannah, what was interesting about your story is that how hotels are now trying to redefine what's you know, what's part of a resort fee? You know, some of the weirdest things that they'll put in there thinking that you're going to derive value from them. I mean, one of the things you, you wrote about was a hotel that said, oh, by the way, uh, as part of the resort fee, we're giving you filtered water in, uh, that comes out of the tap. Well, gee, what was it, what was it before? <laughs> that I, I really enjoyed that one. It was, you know, we're all used to paying resort fees, right? And so we'll, we'll go to whatever, this hotel in Orlando, and you see a, a $25 resort fee. And you're like, what am I getting for this? I'm, I'm doing I'm doing nothing special here. Well, you know, there, uh, there, was so, one, there was one hotel that a good friend of mine stayed at in Boston, I'll name it, Intercontinental, in which their resort fee gave you, this is part of the deal now, you could go to the business center and get up to 100 free copies printed up of anything you wanted. So what he wanted to do was to print up on one piece of paper, hotel resort fees suck, and get 100 copies. I mean, <laughs> that is true. I mean, the thing is this. Hotel resort fees are really a tax dodge uh, because hotel f- rates are taxed at a high, you know, occupancy tax in very many different cities, as, many, as much as 23% in some cities. So if you're paying $200 a night for the hotel room, $46 of that doesn't go to the hotel at all. It goes back to the municipality. So they're just trying to make it up by being competitive on their official rate, but then charging a resort fee, which is not taxed at an occupancy tax, but taxed as a sales tax. So they're retaining more of the money, but you're still not getting much for it, are you? I mean, it really depends. If you if you are the kind of person who, who really wants to uh, get every last cent, you could definitely look at a, a list of resort fees and say, okay, I'm going to take advantage of this $10 uh, food and beverage credit, and I'm going to take this 10% discount on my laundry, and I'm going to take those 100 copies, et cetera, et cetera, and, and try. But honestly, at that point, you're still going to be paying more money than you would have otherwise, even if you decided not to try to take advantage of these, of these amenities. So, you know, I think that I talked to some people who said, at least if I'm getting beach chairs and a free drink when I arrive, I, I don't feel like I'm taking it on the chin. But honestly, if they, if I really wanted those things, I would just pay for them. And I would feel better about the whole experience if that was the option, as opposed to being told, you have to pay this amount of money and here's all the you know cherries on top that we're going to throw on that uh, on that mandatory fee the one thing you wrote about about the viceroy hotel in dc was that even it was like only 25 dollars a night however it was mandatory it was called a mandatory guest amenities fee and guess what you got for that they put a white noise machine in your room you know what (laughs) how about a loud noise machine coming from me saying why am i paying this fee (laughs) i mean (laughs) i mean you could also get a record player, uh, according to the, to the website, <laughs> so if you wanted to uh, make a recording on vinyl of, of yourself saying, why am I getting this resort fee, you could then play it <laughs> around and around. So here's the big question, Hannah. Even if a hotel yeah. says, I've, I've made this position clear, at least in, in many of the stories that I've covered, even if a hotel says it's a, quote, mandatory fee, I disagree. Everything in a hotel is negotiable. And if you don't have a conversation when you make the reservation, or you don't have a conversation when you check in, well, then maybe it is mandatory. But I've had situations, and it's not just because of what I do for a living or the chair in which I sit, because they didn't know who I was. And I just said, this is nuts. I'm not paying for it. And they took it off the bill. You know, I, I've heard people say they've had success with that. And, and also, I've, I've gotten advice that says, if, 
if anything has gone wrong with your trip, like if the Wi-Fi didn't work and the Wi-Fi is included in the resort fee, definitely take that to the manager before you check out and argue that that fee get knocked off because that that is perfectly reasonable thing to do. Or if the pool's not open and that the pool is part of the fee, uh, I don't think it's going to work for everybody every time, but it's certainly worth trying politely, you know. Or if they don't disclose it when you make the reservation and they don't disclose it when you check in and you only see it when you're checking out, that's under a federal credit law. They didn't disclose. And you can make a, you can dispute the bill on that. The one I love the most, this is, this, excuse me for laughing, but you made me laugh on this one, was in the Greenbrier in West Virginia. Your, your resort fee includes a meditation trail. And I want to say it just like that, a meditation trail where you can walk silently and contemplate, why am I paying this fee? <laughs> yes, lots of time for quiet contemplation on the trail. What was the weirdest resort fee allocation that you saw? You know, I think, I think just the one that caught me the most off guard and made me laugh the most was um, just seeing a line item that said coconut husking because there was no explanation of what that meant or why you're husking a coconut as part of your $50 resort fee at this thousand thousand plus dollar a night hotel. Uh, I, be- I believe it's a, it's a cultural lesson in how to husk a coconut. And it's one of many cultural lessons, but uh, it just made me laugh so hard. Coconut husking. Okay. Can I ask a really stupid question? Why yeah. would they in their right mind, I, look, everybody's entitled to charge the price they want if somebody's willing to pay for it. But if you're paying $1,000 a night for a room, there should not be a resort fee. There should be a psychological consultation fee um, for, for why you're paying so much for the room. But seriously, how many people listening to this program or who you know, Hannah, get up in the morning saying, you know, I'd only stay at that hotel if they allowed me to coconut husk? <laughs> that's, that's what's really going to seal the deal. I'm, I'm choosing between... 10 different hotels, but but the coconut husking is what really put me over the top. (laughs) My thanks to Hannah, to Nikki Vargas, and to Lisa Lutoff-Perlo. And my thanks to you for listening to this Eye on Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, and these days, it's always breaking, just log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. Hey, Prime members, Peter Greenberg here. You can listen to Ion Travel ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, and you can listen ad free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. And before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. 
Hey, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, and it is tournament time, people. So listen to the one podcast that will cover every upset, Cinderella, Bracket Buster Sleeper. We've got it all covered, every round, reaction shows, all the way up through the championship game in Glendale, Arizona. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your podcasts.